Well, Matt, you helped architect a tool called the seven arrows, which are seven simple questions designed to take the mystery out of the Bible. And I thought maybe what you could do to just kick us off, could you just tell us your motivation for creating this? Yeah, I love the word architect. That makes it sound so like intentional <laughs> and strategic. It was far more happenstance than yeah. that. I was um, new pastor and uh, the first few months, like it feels really good for after a sermon for somebody to come up and like, dude, what, what you did in that sermon was unbelievable. Like yeah. I, I heard something I'd never heard before. And then you start to think about like, okay, if my job in light of Ephesians 4 is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, if I'm teaching them to depend on me to engage with God through the word, Mm. that's not really that great of a thing, right? I want them to be able to sit down with the the scriptures, to open the word, to hear God speak to them, to listen to sermons and not feel like a magic trick, you know, whatever somebody's doing on the stage. It's just real simple, real basic. So I wanted to lower the bar there. I was starting to disciple uh, some dudes in our church and we had a young man come to faith and, uh, you know, early twenties, I was discipling him at IHOP. We'd meet, he's reading through Romans and he would just come, you know, preloaded with all the questions that the book of Romans brings up. And, you know, he'd come and then next week he's coming with more questions. I'm like, all right, I got to do something that doesn't teach him to rely on me, but Mm -hmm. actually uh, teaches him to trust the power of the spirit to bring change through the word of God as he, he interacts with, with God from the scripture. So, uh, I went in my car, I was kind of frustrated because I was answering all these questions. It's like, well, next week we're just going to ask and answer a whole lot more questions. So it's like, all right, let me think about the kinds of questions that I ask when I read the Bible. And so it's like this act of like unconscious competency. You know, if yeah. you've been reading the Bible for a while, you got some things that you're like, all right, I'm coming to the scriptures with this. Yeah. So how can I bubble those to the surface to actually help somebody else? And then Third motivation would be I'm a dad with five kids. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, family devotions, uh, uh, trying to disciple my team. Like, what does it look like for me to actually help them read the scriptures well? Mm-hmm. And we do the uh, classical conversations deal, homeschool. Yeah. So everything's set to a song. You know, it's all got this kind of memory pattern mm-hmm. to it. So it's like, if I can make something simple and sticky mm-hmm. that people could actually remember and know how to do something with, then maybe they would read the Bible on their own and be able to do something with it. Yeah, that's really good. So... Tell us real quickly, why do you think men in general should be reading the scriptures? Yeah, I mean, there's a zillion reasons. There probably a zillion reasons why we we don't. You know, mm-hmm. like self-made men, hard worker. You know, think, hey, I've I've kind of got this thing figured out on my own. I don't I don't need to spend the time. I got more important things yeah. uh, to do. But obviously, God and His purpose and His intention has revealed His word to us. He's, you know, as Calvin says, he's, he's condescended to speak human baby language for us in ways mm. that we can understand. So if he's condescended to speak language that I can understand through the scriptures, and this is, this is his word for me, then it would make sense if I want to understand God and his purposes in the world. And I want to, the best thing for me as a dude is to orient my life according to God's truth, Mm -hmm. then I've got to be consistently marinating on the truths of the scriptures. And Mm -hmm. uh, if I believe, like, I think it's James K. Smith that talks about uh, the world uh, giving us a liturgy and worldliness, Mm -hmm. like it's training us every day to rebel from God, to seek after other truths, then I'm going to have to not just like once and for all, or not one good sermon a week, I'm going to have to like daily, consistently train myself that, that I've got to be 
magnetized to God's truth in mm-hmm. the word. And that's just going to require me reading it consistently for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, I thought what we could do to help our men have a tangible way to move towards being defined and directed by scriptures, because that's what we want to challenge our men to do, um, is just you and I model using the seven arrows. Right. So we provide a Grace Church Bible reading plan. This is located on our app. Uh, each day we publish a passage of scripture to read that helps us focus on the weekend teaching and the current series that we're in. So right now we're in Ecclesiastes and this is the passage that today I thought we could do is just open up the app and uh, let's just see what today's reading is. I mean, it's kind of on the spot for you, but let's just read it. I'll read the passage and then Matt, could you and I just model going through the seven arrows together? Does that sound good? Great. Okay. All right. So Today, if you if you are driving in the car and you're um, definitely don't be doing this while you're driving, but if you are, um, you know, just right now in front of the, just listening and you got your Bible in front of you or you want to go to the app, click on the app. You're going to click on the resources tab, and then on the resources tab, there's a section called reading plan. And so today is Psalm 44 verses one through 26. Now we're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to do um, one through eight, but let me just go ahead and read it. And then we'll jump in and use the seven arrows. So Psalm 44, Oh God, we have heard it with our own ears. Our ancestors have told us of all you did in their day and days long ago. You drove out the pagan nations by your power and gave all the land to our ancestors. You crushed their enemies and set our ancestors free. They did not conquer the land with their swords. It was not their own strength. It was not their own strong arm that gave them victory. It was your right hand and strong arm and the blinding light from your face that helped them, for you loved them. You are my king and my God. You command victories over Israel. Only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only in your name can we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. I do not count my sword to save me. You are the one who gives us victory over our enemies. You disgrace those who hate us. O God, we give glory to you all day long and constantly praise your name. So, Seven arrows yep. in the morning. You're just, you've opened it up. You got the seven arrows in front of you. The first question, and that's what the seven arrows is, is seven questions. So the first question is, what does this passage say? Yeah. And so this seems like the most like uh, overly simplistic question, but let's think, you know, back to elementary school, think basic reading comprehension. One of the ways that I start to internalize any story that I've read, anything that I'm engaging with is like, can I restate what I just said okay. in a simple, coherent way? Like, do, do I have basic comprehension? So what I'm doing is if I'm discipling my 10 year old, or if I'm working with another uh, believer in our church, or if I'm thinking about the scriptures is, all right, we just read eight verses. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of words in there. Can I, can I close the Bible? Can I kind of look, get my eyes up and just in, in, in kind of common speech, can I restate what the author has said there? So you Mm -hmm. might think we got seven questions. I would say question one is a question of observation. Okay. You're not trying to do any interpretation. You're not trying to do any application. You're just saying, what's there? What mm-hmm. did it say? Kind of Twitter style. Can I summarize that in one sentence? Mm-hmm. Questions two through four, we'll get to in a minute, are questions of interpretation. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Like, oh, so what does it say? What does it mean? And then questions five through seven are questions of application. Okay. And that's the right way, I think, to, to come at scripture, not mm-hmm. to run to application first, because yeah. we don't know what it meant. We can't know what it means. So I want to get what, what did the Bible mean? Mm-hmm. And the best way for me to get what did the Bible mean is 
do I actually see what's there? So, yeah. you know, the summary of this passage could be, you know, something akin to God fights on behalf of his people, mm-hmm. right? Anything good that they have is due not to their strength and power, but to God's might. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean just something good. simple like that, that allows me to capture a paragraph. Now, this is hard. We get, you know, Paul in Ephesians 1, 4 through 13, we get this massive Pauline run on sentence. And it's like, how do I pack that in? So mm-hmm. some passages are easier to do than others, but I just want to be able to come back to like a simple concrete, maybe even overly simplistic, because with the other arrows, I'm going to be able to like backfill those categories. Mm-hmm. Hey, God comes to the aid of his people. Yeah. I don't need to trust in my own strength, so on and so forth. Yeah. So for you, so just to recap what you were saying, you're saying observation and is the first question. And then you said two through four is- Two through four are interpretation. Interpretation. Yep. And then five through seven is application. Is application. So for me, for this question and just looking at this, I see a lot of things that the writer is saying that God did, yep. not that I did. So, I mean, I think that that's just one observation I have is that, man, this guy, he, he thinks very highly of God which is something I think I should be doing, right? So um, I don't know. That was my observation. Yeah, absolutely. And so even in doing that, like orienting us to who's the main character, well, mm-hmm. that even then helps me say, well, who's the main character of the story of Scripture? The Bible is a story about God long yeah. before it's a story about me. So the the author in the Psalms is orienting my attention away from myself and onto God. And as my attention is oriented there, well, then it sends me back into my life with purpose and intentionality yeah. on the basis of who God is. Okay, great. All right. So what does the passage say? We just did that. The second arrow is what does the, this passage mean to its original audience? Yeah, this is the skippable one, right? This <laughs> is the one that can easily be, uh, you know, we got to have a seminary degree or we got to go round up a ton of commentaries. I don't think any of that. What I try to do is like, hey, what did it feel to be embedded in this passage when it was original? I think we we tend, particularly American readers, we read the Bible with our mind. We don't read it with our senses. We don't we don't feel and experience the Bible story. So to this question, actually, uh, Psalm 44 gives us some of this because it's speaking of ancestors testifying to the might and strength and power of God, how he yeah. came through. And so you think, what would it have been like to be on the land, to, to have a family legacy that, that all that is is derived from the might and power mm. and glory of God being demonstrated? We might be able to step into that and appropriate it in you know, small ways if your grandparents or parents, like mm. if, if, if they walked with God and they uh, were intentional in creating a culture of discipleship in the home. And as you look at your spiritual formation, you're like, man, I owe it to those who have come before. You can kind of step into this this psalm that's saying, hey, our ancestors were telling us all that we have is derived from God. We can trust him. He acts on our behalf. And conversely, our strength doesn't come from ourselves. So, yeah. you know, it's not coming from, from strength or might or any of that. So I would have felt this sense of indebtedness. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the way I would think of, of, mm-hmm. of question two. I would feel indebted to the power of God mm-hmm. for the people that I am today. Yeah. I think for me in answering this question, I would almost also feel that this this these people, this writer maybe in that time maybe had in 
enemies and actually had real enemies, I don't have any enemies. Right. Like I'm not in a space right now where I've got like my neighbors like me, yep. you know, but to think about what would it look like to be, um, he talks about having that God, that the Lord gives him victory over his enemies. Like, I don't really know what that means. So I'm just kind of picturing myself, like, what would it be like to be in a battle where mm-hmm. I maybe lost before, or maybe I, cause God's people did lose a lot of times. So what does it look like to experience victory in a way that's real sweet because it came from someone that, that was a shade and a blessing over me. Totally. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about. If that, is that, yeah, 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 yeah. And so you're stepping, you're forcing yourself to step into maybe a context that's not normative for you mm-hmm. into a culture because we're reading a Bible and this is what makes Bible reading difficult, right? We're crossing culture, we're crossing language, we're crossing uh, experience. And so we're stepping into, you know, I don't trust in the, the bow and the, like mm-hmm. that's not most of our experience. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to get to a question, you know, what does this then mean for me? I'm going to have to be able to step back into, well, what did it mean for them? Why yeah. would they have been tempted to trust in these things. Well, then it's Mm, going to create some parallelism for me to say, well, this would then be true in my life. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so we're in the interpretation phase still, right? Because number two is part of interpretation. So number three, what does this passage tell me about God? Yeah, right. So number three, in this overarching category, we're saying, the Bible can mean more than it meant to its original audience, mm-hmm. but it's not going to mean something different than it meant. So, you know, categories of Levitical law, we're going to, the progressive revelation, later biblical writers are going to layer that with meaning and purpose and intentionality that the original recipients um, uh, couldn't grasp, mm-hmm. right? The book of Hebrews is going to show us how all of this is, is made better, seen more vividly in mm-hmm. the person of Jesus Christ. But before we get to, uh, how does that advance and develop in the story of scripture? We're anchoring it on what, what it was the original context. What did it mean to its original years? Okay. We've got the land. Uh, we're here now. The kingdom is developing. We're tempted now because we're, we're in the land to trust in our own strength, to trust in our own power. But what was this writer continuing to orient them to? No, you trust in your significance is found in God. And ultimately, mm-hmm. we know that this is going to lead to their exile. It's going to lead to them being banished from, in the unraveling of the mm-hmm. kingdom because I, I trust in my own strength. So yeah. question three is, what does the passage tell me about God? This is an easy one to do from the psalm because it's, it's pretty overt here, mm-hmm. right? Um, the reason I put these arrows in this order is because I, I think it's the, the right way. Well, it, it's opposite of the way we tend to read the Bible. We read ourselves in as the main character, yeah. and then we rush to application. So I want to camp out on the main characters in the story of Scripture were those who originally experiencing it, question two, and the main subject of the Bible is the triune God, Father, mm-hmm. Son, and Spirit. And so how do I see God's character on display in the story of Scripture? The beautiful thing about question three and question four is they're really repetitive because God's character doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if like I'm I'm searching for something that's lost and hidden and I've got a you know treasure hunt for it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's there, it's demonstrated. So this passage is going to speak of God's might, God's power. Mm-hmm. He's king. He's the one who acts on behalf of his people. Mm -hmm. He controls, he has power over the armies and the movement of people. He establishes victory. So we we speak of all of these themes of God's character. Yeah. I think in, in just looking at this, I've circled the word power, uh, one twice I circled the word strong twice and, and then victory and then glory. And so to me, and just like, what does this passage tell me about God and this, like, there's no one greater. 
And for me to be able to have a relationship with someone like that is because I'm broken and he's not, I mean, that's, that's encouraging to me. So, I mean, I don't know, the more that I do the seven arrows, the more I begin to see this pattern that God cares for me. He loves me. He is the creator. I am the creature. And there is great, there should be great encouragement from that. And so that's kind of what I get when I, when I see that as we're working through it. And to this passage, the, the language of confidence even, right? It's encouraging and it gives me, it gives me great confidence because mm-hmm. my life, uh, the circumstances don't feel that way. They don't feel strong. They mm. don't feel victorious. That's they don't yeah, feel secure. So I get, um, I get destabilized mm. all day consistently. So to return back to, and I think this is to your first question, why should men be reading the scriptures? Because we need to reorient ourselves to there's something fixed. There's something mm. secure. There's a God who doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. There's yeah. a God whose character is not changing his purposes prevail, like that kind of uh, uh, fixedness. Yeah. And it so orients my life that feels uh, that, that everything lacks yeah. uh, solidity. You mm, know, That's really good. Well, let's go to the fourth arrow. So that question is, what does this passage say about me, humanity, and mankind? Yeah, so um, I'm dependent, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. mean, I think Psalm 44 is establishing this reality that even the good things that happen in my life are derived from God's power acting for me. So mm-hmm. uh, thinking of the New Testament teaching, like coming to, to Christ as a child, being uh, humble and dependent. Those who exalt themselves will be humble, but those who humble themselves mm-hmm. will be exalted. So God has, in fact, the Old Testament story of the scriptures speak of God's almost intentionality in humbling the people. I'm going to get the smallest army. I'm going to go with the smallest tribe. I'm going to mm. exalt the weakest king that everybody else would kind of uh, sideline so that when victory happens, it's real clear mm-hmm. that glory is is owed to God. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, it, it's not an encouraging thing for most of us to think, but dude, I'm, I'm woefully dependent on God. Mm-hmm. But it does put my life in proper perspective, yes. right? That I don't need to puff myself up. In fact, when I puff myself up, God stands opposed to me. But it's mm-hmm. when I when I know my rightful place that God acts powerfully on my behalf. Yeah. Um, you, and we won't really get into the reasons for all this. I know we've got limited time to really think through this, but um, you did create some icons for yep. this. And the icon for this question is an arrow that points down as opposed to the third question, what does this passage tell me about God, which is an arrow that points up. So I do think that that arrow does help me kind of think through, okay, I am, a, I mean, humanity is broken. Right. There's nothing, I mean, we, we, we screwed this whole thing up, you know? And so I think for me and looking at this, I know when I look at this question, what does it say about me? Oftentimes I want to be powerful, but right. I know I'm not real power. Yeah. You yeah. know, I don't have the true power only comes from, from just releasing control yeah. and, and humbling myself and living a small life versus a great life. You know, there's a complete opposite of everything that I think about most of the time, which is really humbling. Yeah. <laughs> Got right. a lot of work to do, Matt. So the but, good of the yeah. Bible is, is that it 
places all of us. Right? Yeah. It puts it puts me in proper place to God. Mm-hmm. It puts me in proper place to other people. Yeah. Right. To where the the humility that we would see, the dependence that we see. Well, that mm-hmm. that 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 frames out a different, a non hierarchical relationship to mm-hmm. all humanity. Yeah. When we live in a world system that sizes people up and like, okay, there is God. He is the main character. Mm-hmm. He is the one. Verse eight, speaking of. We give glory to him. That would be the mm-hmm. natural implication of this text is we give glory to God because he is great. We are not. Anything that we get is derived from God. Yeah. Well, that puts me in the right place. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so let's go to question number five. What does this passage demand of me? Yeah, and I like the language there. I like um, I like demand. What is it? You know, how, how do I apply it? How mm-hmm. do I obey? But like I want to... Uh, in my own life and when I'm discipling other people, I want to see like that the Bible has weight on me. Like mm-hmm. when put in its proper context, it's it's a bit like, you know, the house is on fire. Well, you don't like just kind of whimsically respond to that, right? There's yeah. a demand that's placed on you to mm-hmm. act in certain ways as a result of coming under the authority of a big command, a big yes. exhortation. And so even if the text doesn't explicitly say, do this, yeah. there's a demand that's baked into the biblical text. Yeah. And so uh, verse eight, I think is pressing us in that way that we would give glory to God. Uh, the text I'm looking back, like that yeah. we would not trust in our bow that I would not count on the sword to save me. So if yeah. I was sitting down, if I was a man particular, I mean, this is a, a very uh, masculine yeah. uh, passage that, that I would be reflecting, okay, what is my bow and sword mm. that I am most tempted to trust in? Mm. And what does it look like to not lay that aside, right? We're still using the bow. We're mm-hmm. still using the sword, but what does it mean to not trust in that for yeah. my identity, my trust, my hope to be derived yeah, from really God? Cool. And so one of the things that I like about this, you know, application is we tend to think of like really concrete, like uh, pray more or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just the spiritual disciplines. There are things and certainly the Bible is going to give us some of that. Like you need to mm-hmm. do X. But more often, I think the Bible is running at our minds and our hearts long before it's running at our hands and feet. So the demand is, hey, change the way you're thinking about this. Change what you're trusting in. Change where you're looking for hope and security. And those are the kinds of things that we need to grapple with, that we need to grapple with over and over again. So the Mm -hmm. repetitive nature of this is not a bad thing. Because I'm going to be, as soon as I put my sword and bow aside, and don't trust them. Well, I mean, two weeks later, I'm going to pick them up again. I'm going to be tempted to grab yeah. those things again. So I've just got to come back to it time and again. Yeah, that's good, Matt. Well, let's get to question number six. How does this passage change the way I relate to people? Yeah, so this is the one. This was six errors of Bible reading when I first doodled <laughs> them. And then I, I used it a few times. And one of the convictions uh, that I, I think most of us read the Bible really individualistically uh, and I'm thinking particularly an American audience here. We read the Bible individualistically, and we think of just Christianity in general as mm-hmm. a very individualistic activity. I read, I interface with God, uh, I obey God. Uh, and so I wanted to force a Bible reader. In some ways, you could think on question six is like the double click on question five. Mm. Like the demand on me is often going to have relational implications. Sure. But I wanted to bubble that to the surface to say, even if the application isn't, relational primarily in its orientation, mm-hmm. right? 
there are ways that I can think about this, that I can frame this up, that help me love my brother or sister, that help mm-hmm. me engage in my church, that help me uh, in my work of evangelism. And by making those overt, so you could think in this passage, like who are people that I'm, I'm giving care to who are trusting in their bow or in mm. their sword? Uh, to what That's degree this is, you know, this is a question. Um, how much of modern like anxiety and fear are provoked in an overconfidence in our bows and swords mm. and not enough trust in God to act strongly on our behalf? Well, if I'm giving care, if I'm living connected to some other people, then odds are when I read my Bible, some name comes to mind there. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, I'm going to have small group tonight with such and such. And this is a conversation we've been having. And that ver- that reminder, just to sit down and be able to, or text message or short bit, I'm often mm-hmm. doing that kind of voice memo as I'm driving somewhere, like shoot a voice memo. Hey, I was reading this passage this morning and I read this verse and I thought, man, I just want to encourage you with God's word this mm-hmm. morning that you would not be the kind of person that trusts in your bow and sword, but that yeah. you would give glory to God. That's what I'm praying for you this morning. So mm-hmm. it just makes other centeredness over in our Bible. Reading. Man, that's a good way to look at that question. Cause I feel like I struggle with this question sometimes. And when I'm doing the seven arrows and that is good perspective to, I think, uh, it helps me even how you said, you know, even in my own life, like I'm even convicted right now, what are the things that I'm doing that might be strengths to some people that people don't see Christ in my life, mm-hmm. but they just see that, yeah. you know? And so am I putting lots of energy into making that great, a great example. Okay. I love to run. I love it. But is my running so compelling to people and what I talk about and the way that I do it and the runs that I go on, all this thing, does that become central and people just see me as the guy that runs because I can make that an idol. I mean, we make anything an idol, you know, but to be able to make less of myself in that area, that's the conviction that I'm hearing right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things I like about question six is it also, it it makes overt, uh, maybe a a lack in my life. Mm -hmm. Like if you're a listener, Uh, today and you're like, man, it's kind of hard for me to put names in the space or to Mm -hmm. think of somebody I need to share or encourage or an evangelistic conversation. Well, that could be a real point of conviction for you. Like I man, I'm living a pretty isolated life. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking of church in a very consumeristic way versus thinking, what do I have to give? Like, what if, you know, your Bible reading plan, like throughout the week, you're thinking, kind of how do I listen to the scriptures with both ears, one ear for what's in it for me, like Mm -hmm. what's God saying to me, and then the other ear for what can I give to somebody else? I think the New Testament speaks of us uh, being the kind of people that are encouraging and exhorting one another with songs, hymns, spiritual songs. So I show up on Sunday with Bible in my mind, in my heart, Mm -hmm. that when people share a request or a need or I see somebody and I know there's a burden there that I can go to them like with yeah. with a clear like I've got a word from God, right? Not mm-hmm. thinking weird odd there, yeah. but like, man, I, I was reading this in the scriptures and I thought of you. Or when you mm-hmm. just shared that with me, God brought this passage to mind that I've been responding to. And the more I'm still in language here from Jeff Enderstel, but the more we can get fluent with the scriptures, like mm-hmm. it's just the language that we speak. Yeah. I think the better we are as members of churches, yeah. as participants with one another. No, that's great, Matt. Well, let's land the plane with this last question. How does this passage prompt me to pray? Okay, so this was maybe a parental question in some ways. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you hear kids just kind of repeating uh, kind of nothingness, triviality. I'm not really mm-hmm. even sure. You know, it's just kind of the steady refrain. This is how we pray. So I'm like, okay, how, how do we disciple people to 
pray biblical prayers, mm-hmm. uh, to pray specific prayers, and then kind of twin disciplines. These aren't the only spiritual disciplines, but at mm-hmm. least in my life, Bible reading and prayer tend to rise and fall together. Mm-hmm. It's not very often that I'm like really experiencing a deep prayer life and disconnected from the scriptures or vice versa. So like, why not let the water grow in both areas? So if I'm reading the scriptures to connect that to prayer in a way that allows me to pray meaningful prayers, Mm -hmm. specific prayers, diverse prayers so that whatever I'm reading in the scriptures, and then it reinforces what I've just read. If I'm articulating back, Hey God, what I've heard you say in your word today Mm. is this, Right, I like that. As I'm saying that back to God, I'm not informing him of anything different, but as I'm saying those things back to God, it's reinforcing in my heart, God, you reminded me from your word today that anything that's good in my life is derived from you. You are the one that fought mightily on my behalf. Forgive me for uh, the times that I've been forgetful or the times that I've tried to muster up in my own strength, the confidence to face another day. Help me to remember and to depend on you today. Teach Mm -hmm. me, bring conviction when I start to pick up my bow and sword and fight Mm -hmm. in my own strength and help me to see that you're active fighting on my behalf. And then, you know, many ways I try to do the the disciplines in the morning. So then even being able to come back later in the day, Mm. reread the passage, or uh, I'll try to latch on to like a phrase or an idea. So if I was reading this Psalm uh, Psalm 44, this idea of don't trust in your bow, don't count on your sword. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to kind of like throughout the day be like, trust in your bow, count on your sword. Mm -hmm. Like, how is God uh, showing me that? How are my fears connected to that? Mm Maybe over dinner, how can I talk to my wife about like just what I saw and what I read? And the more I'm doing that, the, the more fluency it's building, the mm-hmm. more confidence it's building in God's word, and the more I, I am apt to really be able to obey what God said there. Yeah, man, this is so good. I feel like you've given us a, a great tool to help us be defined and directed by the scriptures and to have conversation, not with just with our father, but just with others. Mm. And so I mean, I'm really grateful for you to be able to have put this in our path. And we're using it. Many men are using it. I'm having lots of conversation with men about just how helpful it's been. So thank you very much for doing this and, and just being a part of modeling this today. I think it's been real helpful. That's great. Thanks for having me on. Love, Grace. And the work you all are doing. And I think, you know, the beauty in being in a city like Greenville is we can collaborate together with healthy churches. And as we're all engaging the, the same truthfulness of God's word, right. As we grow in our capacity Mm -hmm. to understand and obey and our city is better for it. So Mm -hmm. let's be the kind of men that are doing that. That's great. Thanks, Matt.